and inshallah that's recording so we will start now with oops we'll start now with surah waqia inshallah assalamualaikum noor and julie mashallah alhamdulillah so surah waqia inshallah a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim idha waqa'ati alwaqia laysa li waqa'atiha kadhiba خافضه رافعه اذا رجت الارض رجا وبست الجبال بسا فكانت هباء منبثا وكنتم ازواجا ثلاثه فاصحاب الميمنه ما اصحاب الميمنه واصحاب المشامه ما اصحاب المشامه والسابقون السابقون اولئك المقربون في جنات النعيم ثُلَّةٌ مِنَ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مِنَ الْآخِرِينَ عَلَى سُرُرٍ مَّوْضُونَةٍ مُتَّكِئِينَ عَلَيْهَا مُتَقَابِلِينَ يَطُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ وِلْدَانٌ مُّخَلَّدُونَ بِأَكْوَابٍ وَأَبَارِيقَ وَكَأْسٍ مِّن مَّعِينٍ لَّا يُصَدَّعُونَ عَنْهَا وَلَا يُنزِفُونَ وَفَاكِهَةٍ مِّمَّا يَتَخَيَّرُونَ وَلَحْمِ طَيْرٍ مِّمَّا يَشْتَهُونَ وحور عين كأمثال اللؤلؤ المكنون جزاء بما كانوا يعملون لا يسمعون فيها لغوا ولا تأثيما إلا قيلا سناما سناما وأصحاب اليمين ما أصحاب اليمين في سرر مخدود وطلح منضود وذل ممدود وماء مسكوب وفاكهة كثيرة لا مقطوعة ولا ممنوعة وفرش مرفوعة إنا أنشأناهن إنشاء فجعلناهن أبكارا عربا أترابا لأصحاب اليمين ثلة من الأولين وثلة من الآخرين وأصحاب الشمال ما أصحاب الشمال في سموم وحميم وظل من يحموم لا بارد ولا كريم إنهم كانوا قبل ذلك مترفين وكانوا يسرون على حنط عظيم وكانوا يقولون أئذا كنا ترابا وعظاما أئنا لمبعوثون أو آباؤنا الأولون قل إن الأولين والآخرين لمجموعون إلى ميقات يوم معنوم ثم إنكم أيها الطالون المكذبون لآكنون من شجر من زقوم فمانئون منها البطون فشاربون عليه من الحميم فشاربون شرب الهيم هذا نزلهم يوم الدين نحن خلقناكم فلولا تصدقون أفرأيتم ما تمنون أأنتم تخلقونه أم نحن الخالقون نحن قدرنا بينكم الموت وما نحن بمسبوقين على أن نبدل أمثالكم ونوشئكم فيما لا تعلمون ونقل علمتم النشأة الأولى فلولا تذكرون 
أفرأيتم ما تحرثون أأنتم تزرعونه أم نحن الزارعون لو نشاء لجعلناه هطاما فظلتم تفكهون إنا لمغرمون بل نحن محرومون أفرأيتم الماء الذي تشربون أأنتم أنزلتموه من المزن أم نحن المنزلون لو نشاء جعلناه أجاجا فلولا تشكرون أفرأيتم النار التي تورون أأنتم أنشأتم شجرتها أم نحن المنشئون نحن جعلناها تذكرة ومتاعا للمقوين فسبح باسم ربك العظيم فلا أقسم بمواقع النجوم وإنه لقسم لو تعلمون عظيم إنه لقرآن كريم في كتاب مكنون لا يمسه إلا المطهرون تنزيل من رب العالمين أفبهذا الحديث أنتم مدهنون وتجعلون رزقكم أنكم تكذبون فلولا إذا بلغت الحلقوم وأنتم حينئذ تنظرون ونحن أقرب إليه منكم ولكن لا تبصرون فلولا إن كنتم غير مدينين ترجعونها إن كنتم صادقين فأما إن كان من المقربين فروح والريحان وجنة نعيم وأما إن كان من أصحاب اليمين فسلام لك من أصحاب اليمين وأما إن كان من المكذبين الضالين فنزل من حميم وتصنية جحيم إن هذا لهو حق يقين فسبح باسم ربك العظيم صلق الله العظيم الحمد الحمد لله Best way to start anything is with the Quran, of course, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we ask Allah to give us what we make our intention for with the reading of that surah, which is qana'a, which is contentment with what we have. And it's said that if a person reads surah to waqiyah after asr, inshallah, then they will be content with what Allah has decreed for them. And that is indeed wealth. So people say you read it for an increase of wealth, but what you're actually asking for and receiving is an increase with your satisfaction and contentment and joy with what it is that Allah has blessed you with. And we know that the more you thank Allah, the more he will increase you. So this is how we start to soften our hearts, inshallah, and start to make what we know work for us when it starts to manifest and we understand and put it into practice and inshallah see the fruits of that ta'ala. Okay, so we'll start inshallah with our dua as is our custom and we go to Imam Haddad for our guidance there because he has given us this most complete dua for seeking knowledge and inshallah that's what we're doing and uh, hoping to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through that inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma inni nawaitu ta'alumu wa ta'alim wa tadakura wa tadkir wa nafa' wal intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulih wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata ala al-khair 
ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى آمين Okay, Bismillah. I'm just going to scroll through here. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. MashaAllah. <laughs> nice to see lots of familiar names there. Alhamdulillah. Shukran, MashaAllah. Okay, so, Misk Women. Oh, there's my phone pinging, of course. So, Misk Women, inshallah. So, I want to start with a bit of an introduction about what is Misk, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge and what is MISC Women, and what this podcast business is about. Like, all of a sudden, someone from the middle of nowhere starts sending all you people uh, these podcast episodes, and it's like, where's all that coming from? So this is really our introduction to that, and to give a more personal edge, because podcasting is extremely impersonal. Um, I can sit there with a microphone, and honestly, I don't know who's listening, where it's going. It's just, okay, I'm putting this out there. Fisa And if anyone benefits, Alhamdulillah. And if they don't, Alhamdulillah. But I just felt that I've been, Alhamdulillah, been around people of knowledge and studying for quite a long time. And there comes a point where you feel that you want to start to give something back, even if it's very, very small. So inshallah, that was really my impetus. And then I got this crazy idea about podcasting, which I've never known anything about, other than I know that if I'm busy in the kitchen or um, doing something, I often like to listen to a lecture. So I thought, well, if I like to listen to a lecture, then surely other people do as well. So that's where really where it came about. And then I started researching um, podcast hosts mm -hmm. and came across Captivate and they seemed uh, pretty good so alhamdulillah that's where that aspect of it has come from and as for the content um, then that's got a whole other history so we'll go into that inshallah so I just want to do a bit of an introduction about MISC and a bit of an introduction about uh, women in Islamic scholarship and then inshallah we'll have time for some questions and comments and whatever anyone would like to contribute inshallah okay so misk is actually short for dar miskal khitam miskal khitam is one of the names of the prophet alayhi salatu wasalam mm -hmm. um, which is like the the beautified and perfumed and a sweet ending of something so misk of course you know is the arabic word for musk for the perfume musk and khitam is the ending. So being the khatimul anbiya, the last, the seal of the prophets, then he's also the most delightful and perfumed. And in Arab culture and in Arab language, the Arabic language, then to be perfumed and to, to smell sweet is one of the most desirable qualities. And so, of course, one of the most desirable qualities should naturally be attributed to the Prophet ﷺ. So, that's a part of where that comes from. And there are many other meanings associated with it as well. Khitam or misk in Suratul Mutafifin. So for the believers, inshallah, Jannah is a place of misk of the sweetest delights and perfume. So the link there and the dar, linking it to Dar Mustafa, inshallah. And then misk also being the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. And it really is actually my husband's project. And it's something that he's been working on the content for for about 10 years. 
and research that he's been doing, uh, which started at the Taba Foundation, where he began to think about how to reconcile between traditionally trained scholars who don't have a lot of contextual and societal knowledge in order to give over their sacred knowledge in a way that's meaningful for people in their time. And of course, that's not everybody, but there are a lot of people that will go through the traditional system and come out with it and not really know what to do with the knowledge that they've received when they go back to their own communities and societies and see what's going on. So it's a way, he started to think about how to bridge that with academics. So people who go into Islamic studies and universities and they have pretty much no traditional training, a lot of them anyway, not all. I don't want to put all academics in the same boat because they're not. Um, there are those who do have some traditional training and who do engage very closely with the texts of the scholars and with Islamic philosophy and epistemology and these things. And they're actually different to the academics who don't have any traditional training and who try and approach Islam from an ideological position. So that will be trying to engage with the sacred texts and with the whole scholarly and spiritual tradition from a critical theory point of view, which will be like from a feminist point of view or from looking at power relations, which is really the basis of critical theory, which comes from Marxism, looking at everything in terms of a power dynamic and starting to, and what they do is actually try and deconstruct the tradition from the inside using paradigms and frameworks and ideas which are not part of the tradition but that they import them into their deconstructive perspective and this of course is you know the ideas that they're coming with have really got nothing to do with islam at all they don't come from an islamic foundation and so this type of approach to the islamic tradition can be extremely destructive and unfortunately there are many young people, many of our young Muslims who are going into universities and into the so-called Islamic studies departments where uh, gender, gender studies is a big part of that as well. And they're going in without any sort of traditional background except for maybe a little bit of culture and practice that they got or a bit of madrasa, a bit of Quran, that type of thing. They're going in young and they're getting uh, subjected to all these ideologies and it's not having a good impact. And in fact, it's really um, messing with their minds and their hearts. So that's one aspect of academia that's really problematic. And we can see the effects of that. So the thing is with this research, it's like how to find a bridge between those two groups of people. So those who've got traditional training and no contextual background, those who are all context but a little bit warped because it comes from an ideological position and no textual background in, in the tradition. So how do we deal with that? So anyway, my husband kind of came up with this Islamic sociology um, very much based on Imam Ghazali's work, the Ihya, and his other books as well. And uh, some of Imam Ghazali's own teachers, such as Al Imam Raghib al Asfahani, who came before him, and who Imam al Ghazali was reported as um, always being seen with his book. So he himself was very influenced by his um, scholarly predecessors. So, anyway, he started to work on this, and then it sort of came to a point where I was thinking, well, you know, I'd like to start to do something. I can't just stack up.
notebook after notebook and hour after hour attending lectures and classes and and not really do anything with that so I said well you know uh, why don't we work on that a bit in terms of I can present something for the women and at the same time some of my very dearest friends here we were chatting one day about some of the issues in the world and feminism and the LGBT and and all those things and so we sort of decided okay let's have um, a few lectures on that and and think about how we can start to really approach these things from a proper perspective grounded in the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition so that with what I was kind of talking about with my husband at the time and that at the same uh, time so that came together and we had a series of lectures here and then one of our sisters in Canada who had been here she wanted to present that over there because in the west of course it's different to where we are here it's a little bit more controlled here um, but in the west she wanted to uh, let the sisters there be exposed to this way of thinking as well so we did a bit of a program um, online there as well and then the whole podcast idea sort of came up several months later but as a direct result of that so that's sort of where we got to this point now so so okay so we have this uh, misc women which i guess is sort of the branch of darmiskohitam and darmiskohitam itself is sort of yet to get up and going with a website or um, with anything formal other than there being a vast quantity of research and work that has already been done so we sort of launching it in a sort of in a not so direct way but also i guess it is a bit direct way um to the sisters so whatever the fruits of my husband's um, kind of lifelong scholarship and particularly in the last 10 years have been in this field, um, you're actually benefiting from first. So <laughs> mabruk, inshallah. I hope that, hope that makes you happy, um, inshallah. So I think that's good that there's uh, emphasis on the women receiving this anyway. So what is this knowledge? Okay, so we're talking about, you know, we've got this sort of research and this concept of an Islamic sociology etc so so what is that and and basically it means a way of finding your way through the problems in the world the issues in the world and navigating through with your feet on the siratul mustaqim as i've repeated several times in uh, the podcast episodes and finding a way which is the most pleasing to allah to live despite all the challenges and despite all the um, issues that we are facing and there's a very strong Quranic parable for that so yeah mabruk to you mashallah <laughs> so, um, so we're looking at a unified view of practice and knowledge okay so we know that from our tradition we have this sort of um, structured way of living and that's what Imam Ghazali teaches us in the Bidayatul Hidai, the beginning of guidance, you know, how do we actually structure ourselves on a day-to-day -day level? But also we want to integrate that knowledge with the secular knowledge that we also are in as well, because the dunya being the lower world, and that's where dunya comes from, something that's dini, something that's low. Um, this is secular meaning that it's mundane. Okay, so mundane in the sense that there's nothing sacred in this type of knowledge that we live in in the dunya. However, as Muslims, we are all about sacredness and we're all about um, seeking the next life, which is a higher form of knowledge. So that higher and sacred and lofty and elevated type of knowledge that we get from our deen 
is what we'd call the, the ilm al-malakuti, so the knowledge that comes from high. Yet we're living in this alam, in this world of the, um, living in the world of the mulk, which is the lower realm. So how do we integrate those two things together? And how do we do it in a way which is um, firmly grounded and sustainable and something that enables us to really get through these challenges that we're faced with today? So there are three aspects of that. There's the personal and there's the family and society. And I think if we realize that there are these different aspects of it as well, then it helps us sort out the type of knowledge that we need and the type of knowledge that we get and how to apply that to our particular context, inshallah. Because Islamic knowledge is extremely overwhelming. I mean, it is 14 centuries of the most vast and all-encompassing and deep scholarship. And there's really no other system of knowledge that's ever existed which quite comes close. Um, I don't think there's anything that comes close at all actually and certainly not Western scholarship and the Western scholarly tradition. It's had its moments of kind of brilliance if you like but also not really because none of that brilliance brought people any closer to their Lord. And as we know from Imam al-Ghazali that beneficial knowledge is knowledge that brings you closer to Allah. So if it's knowledge that's there that's not going to benefit you in your akhirah then it's knowledge which doesn't really have a lot of value anyway and where we are now at this point in history when we go back which is what I'm trying to do in the left and right um, series at the moment is have a bit of a historical mm -hmm. overview of the western uh, philosophical tradition and to see well where exactly do these ideas come from and how is it that western society is how it is now um, but it's all it's all falling apart it's all crumbling and uh, rotting at the core so when we look at like as a tradition an intellectual tradition then it's actually very weak and so even though it seemed at the time that there were moments of, of grandeur and incredible uh, human you know enlightenment which is actually the word but not really so anyway so basically we're looking at how to proceed okay now our key word really for proceeding and for moving on is competency and you'll know that with the description of Miss Women and um, with Damis Gokhitam that what we're talking about is textual competency and contextual competency and again going back to our traditional scholars and academics and where are the levels of competency there that exist and the levels of competency that don't exist and how do we try and mesh that so that we can deal with our textual knowledge and be able to put it properly and to straighten out those with too much context and too much ideology and help them to come back onto a more middle path. So our key word is competence and this is called malaka in Arabic and this is what we're looking for. So we need competence when it comes to ourselves managing ourselves, managing our families um, and managing ourselves in society and being a part of the society that is grounded and that's able to share and, and give over and be helpful and beneficial to others and that's what it's all about. If you have good competency in something then you're a benefit 
And that means that you have beneficial knowledge and it means that you have beneficial deeds. So the ilm and the amal. So the ilm, the knowledge and the amal, which is the actions. And that's, that's what we're looking for. So we need to develop um, really good skill in both of those, inshallah. So there's a ayah in the Quran, Surah Ibrahim 24, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of the tree. And he says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Alam tara kayfa taraballahu mathalan kalimatan tayyibatan kashajaratin tayyibatin asluha thabitun wa far'uha fissama tu'ti ukulaha kulla hinin bi'idni rabbiha wa yadribullahu al-amthala linnasi la'allahum yatafakkaroon wa mathalu kalimatin khabithatin kashajaratin khabithatin so I wanted to read it there because I don't trust myself to get it right, just reading it from my head. So what that ayah explains to us, and you're probably familiar with that, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of the shajara tayyibah, of a good, a goodly tree. A tree where asluha thabitun, where its roots are thabit, they're strong and they're well set. And asluha, sorry, wa fi sama, and its branches are high up in the sky. Wa tu'ti and it gives its fruits all the time or every time with the permission of its Lord. And that's now compared to the shajaratin khabithatin. So this is the, like the, the, the foul tree, the tree that doesn't have any good or khayr in it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this example where he says, Ujtuthat min fawqil ardi ma min qarar which tuthat means to be uprooted and pulled out. And how can something be uprooted? Usually when it doesn't have its roots very deep in anything anyway. So it's at a surface level. So when the tree that doesn't give good fruit or when the tree that is rotten or the tree that doesn't have any benefit, doesn't give shade, doesn't give fruit, doesn't look good even. And there are lots of ugly trees. Um, not all trees are beautiful so it's a type of tree that is something that's not pleasing in any way and that type of tree is the one which tuthat so it gets uprooted from the ground there's no there's nothing thabit there's nothing steadfast or keeping it solid and grounded and planted strongly and sustaining it in the ground and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah keeps steadfast those who believe with a word, with a statement that is thabit, so in this life and in the next, and that qawla thabit, and we ask Allah to give us that qawla thabit in the dunya and the akhirah, and it's none other than la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. So when a person lives on that, 
is well is born on that whether that be literally from birth or they come into islam and that's almost like i don't want to say rebirthing because it's got a bit of that you know born again type of connotation but without that but when a person does come into islam then they really feel how much they have changed and often do feel like a completely new person so we'll take that perspective and um what am i saying yeah so when a person is born on that and lives on that qawla thabit on la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah and then they're able to give everything because they're so firm in the dunya and inshallah because they're firm and then when the winds come and then when there's a drought and then when the birds come and pick at the fruit and then when all the challenges are there then the person is steadfast and upright and they're able to do what they need to do in the best of ways and this is uh one of the challenges we face at the moment with this whole lockdown and global situation um where it is a big challenge but the one who's thabit on the call of thabit is the one who's able to meet those challenges in the best of ways and this is what we want to be inshallah like we want to be one of these trees that gives good all the time despite the conditions and is steadfast in the dunya and inshallah the real fruits of that will be reaped in the akhirah inshallah and in the last part of that ayah where yudillullahu dhalimin and allah is the one who misguides the those who are the oppressors of dhalimin those who are the transgressors and those who do wrong and then it says and Allah does whatever he pleases or whatever he wants to do and we need to be of those people who pray and say ya Allah make us of those people who are thabit who are steadfast and make us like the tree the goodly tree that gives its fruits and that gives khair um all the time with your permission ya Allah and with your guidance and to protect us from being other than that inshallah so this is really one of our um core types of uh, parables or metaphors in the quran that apart from the siratul mustaqim which shows us clearly how we are meant to traverse okay when we look at those who allah has blessed and those who have gone astray um and we've gone through suratul fatiha quite a bit in the podcast so i won't repeat those things here um but basically we have that straight path metaphor and then the Quran is full of metaphors and it's for us to look at them and read them and to understand and to try to apply that to our own situations inshallah so the point is how do we be like that and how do we not be of the type which tooth that those who are uprooted and thrust out of the ground um whenever the going gets tough so whenever the conditions are harsh whenever things are not the goldilocks type of um circumstances then inshallah that's what we're looking for here and the other point too is that what we get from that again is this beneficial knowledge and this beneficial action so when we are exposed to these ideas and we can see okay so there's something in there that i have to know and then we go into that we start to look at that and we see what's benefit for us in there and what's of benefit to others and then inshallah we're able to act in the most beneficial way every time as well so the other point too is that 
there's uh, another sort of um, binary here, if you like, which some people don't like, but we do have binaries, whether people agree with that or not in their postmodern type of ideological view of the world. But we have things that are superficial and things that are deep. And inshallah, a Muslim who's able to bridge between the textual and the contextual is a person of depth because we can see beyond the political slogans, we can see beyond the fashions and the fads, and certainly see beyond this idea that Islam has to keep up with the times. And if ever there was a statement that was misleading and dangerous and just a complete fabrication, it would have to be that. Because if, if Islam kept up with the times that we're in now, then I don't think any of us would be sitting here, okay? We would be completely lost. And really, the world has to come into line with Islam. That's what's required. Because Islam is the only full system of um, thought and philosophy and action which is complete and which completely befits the human experience. And that's, of course, because of the fitrah of the human being and because of the wahi, the revelation, and because of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, without whom we wouldn't know anything. We wouldn't know Allah. We wouldn't know about the akhirah and the dunya. We wouldn't know um, how to live here. And he gave us the wahi, the text. He gave us the fiqh. And he gave us all the models and tools that we require in order to derive what we need from those essential sources in order to live the best life here and to be able to understand and contextualize those things in every generation. And that's what scholars like Imam Haddad, Rahimahullah, have done and all the others when they're the Mujaddid, when they are those who renew the religion in the century, meaning what? That they are able to contextualize it for their people. And Imam Haddad was very disappointed uh, with the people of his time more than 300 years ago. And so the books that he wrote, he wrote for them because he, he saw that people didn't have much himma for the deen and he saw that people were a bit lazy or in his view. And when I think, oh, subhanAllah, if we could have 1% uh, of the people of that time, particularly those in Teddy, then I think we'd be doing very well. Okay, so when we talk about competency, as we've said, we need to have a textual competency and contextual. So when it comes to women and scholarship, it's like, how do we get those things? And where do we go for that? And so contextual, sorry, textual competency and having competency in the dean really is divided into two parts. And that's the type of knowledge that we are able to benefit from that has all been laid out to us uh, from the ulama. So the first type of knowledge is called instrumental knowledge, like the ulum al-ala, and that's logic and linguistic skills, so Arabic language. And then the other type of knowledge we would call the ultimate knowledge, um, and that would include aqidah, just as a pure type of knowledge, knowing it for the sake of knowing it, and then practical knowledge which is what people they call the end sciences or the ultimate sciences. So it's the real product that you get and that you're able to apply. And that includes uh, fiqh and it includes any form of mu'amala. So it's looking at 
um, the, so fiqan usul or fiqh, so the rulings about how fiqh is derived from the sources and then the ahkam, so the application, and then also mustalah al-hadith, so usul al-hadith, so how do we understand what's sahih and hasan and da'if, so where do we get our understanding of the, fiqh, uh, of the hadith from, and then of course understanding the texts of the hadith and then how to apply them. So these are just very, very briefly stated. Um, the types of areas of knowledge that are available to us to start to develop competency in. And then when it comes to the contextual competency, unfortunately a lot of women are going into looking at feminism in Islam or looking at gender studies um, or trying to critique Islam as we've said from a ideological position and to somehow bridge the gap that way. And unfortunately it has the opposite effect, um, as we've said, because what they actually end up doing is talking more about Islam rather than actually engaging with the text. And then if you try and apply foreign or alien uh, frameworks onto the text and interpret through that, then you're not going to come out with what's intended by those texts. So our contextual knowledge really means understanding where do all these ideas come from and that's something that um, Habib Omar, may Allah preserve and protect him, has also stated um, emphatically that um, he was talking about in the context of youth, but it applies to everybody as well generally, that we need to know where the ideas in our society come from, um, what their origins and genealogies are, and how they are working at the moment. And if we're able to step back from the sort of issues out there and the issues that are being thrust upon us by the society and if we're able to take a step back and go hang on a minute I'm going to go into this um, from the beginning and work my way through to understanding where we are now then inshallah we will have developed a competency in understanding and then knowing at the same time as we develop our textual competency and our understanding of the Dean how to best work our way through these issues without getting caught up in other people's agendas and in the day-to-day -day politics and changes and all the, all the volatile issues that are out there at the moment. So we can have a reasoned and middle way approach and that's really what our Dean is calling us to. So that's that two-pronged aspect that we are required as thinking people, as people who are accountable for our actions and we can't claim ignorance, okay? There is so much available and this lockdown has really proven just how much is out there for us to benefit from, alhamdulillah. And even though sometimes it is overwhelming and it's like, oh, I can't keep up with everything and you're not expected to keep up with everything, of course, just do what you can when you can, inshallah. But it's proven to us how much is there and how we really don't have any excuse not to be engaging with that in a meaningful way. Um, and also it's showing us just how chaotic and how broken down uh, this current uh, global context is. So the world that we're living in, it's going down and it's getting worse. But that's not a bad thing for the believer and nothing for us to be upset about because we are attached to the one thing that will always elevate us and that will always protect us and that will always be our means of salvation in the dunya and the akhirah. And that's our deen. 
And that's our love for the Prophet ﷺ. That's our connection to the Qur'an. And that's our knowledge that Allah is the most merciful. And that whenever our Ajalim Musamma, our time is up, we will go to him. And inshallah, Allah will be pleased with us. And Allah will enter us into Jannah. And none of this ever, not one breath, will have ever gone to waste. Or And we hope, and inshallah, and... We make istighfar and we ask for all our deeds to be a witness for us and not against us. And Allah is the most merciful. And for all of us in this time at the moment, um, the smallest amount of action, inshallah, um, will often bring about the most beneficial results because it is challenging. But Allah didn't put us here for us to fail. He put us here to succeed and we need to have yaqeen, certainty and trust in that. Inshallah. Okay, so that's enough from me, definitely. And I'd like to open up now to any questions that you may have or any comments. No, okay. I do have a couple of questions here that were asked uh, previously. So we can uh, go into those inshallah. So one of our sisters has asked um, how do we encourage a culture of seeking knowledge um, in today's society for women who are very busy um, raising their children and working and being busy with their daily responsibilities? So that's a really, really good question and of course goes right to the heart of what we're looking at here and it goes right to the heart of um, what it means to be a woman seeking knowledge and even into what female scholarship is in Islam. So, okay, there's a couple of questions, so we'll come to those. Thank you. Okay, so I think with that question, first of all, when we look at encourage a culture of seeking knowledge, I think that's also linked to the culture that we have at home, in our home environment. And there are people who naturally their homes are places of learning and knowledge and intellectual pursuits and then there are others whose homes are not really that way orientated and so a person has to look at first of all what sort of a learning culture do they come from what sort of a seeking knowledge and inquiry culture do they come from and then build on that so if it is that you come from a, a culture in your family life maybe in, from your parents home or in your married home um, and look at what you can do to add to that. But before you go out and say, oh, okay, I'm gonna take this course and that course, and it really helps you in your pursuit of knowledge to be established in some type of dhikr or some type of awrad and uh, being as constant as you can with the Quran, even if it's just half a page or a little bit a day, um, listening to the Quran when you're driving or having that uh, culture around you and creating that culture around you of listening to things which are good and which soften the heart. So that would have to be the first thing I'd say. Um, and once your heart starts to soften and you start to yearn more, because sometimes people's motivation for seeking knowledge can be because they feel that they have to do it or they feel that they're missing out on something and um, some of those motivations can be good but they, they need to also be combined with softening your heart and really bringing into your heart the types of feelings that 
will not only help you absorb the knowledge in the way that is meant to be absorbed, but to act on it as well. So a culture is not just something that's sort of outside around us in the outside world, but it's very much a part of how we live our daily life. So I would say um, to start with that and then to act on what you already know and to seek uh, courses which will help refine your daily practice and uh, like fiqh if you need to revise your fiqh and go over that. Um, also aqidah and particularly aqidah and the tenets of faith because the very secular world that we live in, it erodes that um, very, very clearly and completely unfortunately so our kids all grow up with evolution theory they all grow up uh, thinking that they're in control of their destiny and uh, Allah is in control of our destiny but they think it's up to them that um, you know it's their life their choice um, follow your heart's desire all these things which look like you know just kind of sayings but if you go into them you know we realize that they absolutely exclude the concept of the divine they exclude um, any concept of there being a God and a God that you should believe in who sent messengers who sent angels or who's created angels and who sent books and that there's a day of judgment and that there's um, a preordained destiny that's good and bad so when we um, start to deconstruct or dismantle some of these ideas around us and we realize more and more the importance for understanding uh, that we need to have a proper aqidah and a proper knowledge of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and how everything other than that is not the object of worship. Um, even if it looks like we're going to get more money out of it or better for our dunya or, oh, you know, I can build my future on that. Whatever it may be, we have to be clear so that we don't get distracted by these other things. And then... The other aspect of it is doing good deeds and continuously seeking and intending to do good deeds. Um, and the first person that a wife should look at in terms of performing good deeds towards is her husband. And this is really, really important um, that, we, that we get our relationship, that we get our marriage right, because our marriage can be our Jannah or our Nar. And we need to, despite all the feminist indoctrination and propaganda and everything that surrounds us we need to be able to cut through that and know what's real and what's false and then act on that which is real and to be consistent and alhamdulillah muslim cultures really support that through visiting the sick and the elderly and looking after people and feeding the poor so not looking down on those things but realizing that that's what actually um, makes a society and makes a person is when you give more than you take. So in terms of culture then they're the sort of things inshallah that you know inshallah we should be looking at trying to uh, cultivate more for ourselves and use as the the ground that we plant ourselves in when we do go to try and seek more knowledge and of course Arabic should be one of those um, first uh, types of knowledge that we go to inshallah. Okay so Got a couple of questions here. Hafisa, mashallah. What are the options available for us to access competency, textual and competency knowledge? Where do we go? And especially for youth furthering study. Well, textual competency is really about engaging with the texts. 
And it's difficult to do that through a translation. Um, it really is because Arabic is not at all like English. So for real textual competency, it does mean necessarily that you need to build your Arabic skills if you can find a reliable teacher. And um, that would be sort of the main thing to begin with because everything comes out of Arabic. So whatever classes you can get to online or otherwise, um, that would definitely be the first place. And um, competency in knowledge is about looking at the society around you and being able to understand what are the forces and what are the agendas, okay? So you can go look at a whole bunch of YouTube videos, but you'll find that they're also created with a certain agenda in mind. So someone sent me once a video that looked like it was um, objective and giving a good description. And then the last part of it ended up with all these um, Islamic phobic things and it was just really a big um, conservative right-wing propaganda video. So this was an Arab friend and I said to her, no, 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 that's not good. Don't, don't watch that because she thought it was a good description of like Western society and I said no. And then you'll find other things where it's all about pushing the, the critical theory, the postmodern agenda of, um, you know, the LGBT and the feminism and, um, and the, the race issue when the race issue is put into the critical theory context, okay? And I know that's an extremely sensitive topic at the moment. And I also know that being a white person, it, I'm not really in a position to talk about that other than to say that there are different ways of understanding race and there is definitely an Islamic way of understanding it. And as Muslims, we need to go to the people who will teach us that Islamic way, teach us the prophetic way of understanding it, teach us what the Quran has said, how he has made us into tribes and colors and languages um, so that we will know each other and to look at how we should best approach it from, a, from an Islamic point of view grounded in the Islamic tradition, not from the point of view that a lot of Muslims have taken on and are pushing as an as a Muslim inclusive, um, you know, intersectional way of dealing with race, because that particular paradigm is not an Islamic paradigm. So, if I can say that much legitimately, then um, that's what I would say about that. So, it's about knowing where we're going to be able to get a proper understanding of the context uh, from within the correct uh, paradigm, inshallah. And there are a lot of people like, Lamppost Education Initiative in America, they're really good. Uh, definitely go to them. Um, and there are other people as well who are trying to deal with these issues. Um, so, you know, maybe we could put some of those names up afterwards, inshallah. But the more you just expose yourself to proper ways of thinking, then the more you'll start to develop that competency to analyze and um, look at it for yourself in a way that makes sense and that fits with what you know about Islam and the prophetic teachings, inshallah. Um, and for young people, yeah, I, well, they sort of need us, really. Um, and so we need to really take the time to try and understand because the first person, that they may or may not come to you, but you're the first person that's going to find out, inshallah, what's going on with them. So you need to be prepared as much as possible so 
And unfortunately, so much of the education and curriculum, it's all this uh, leftist, postmodernist, critical theory approach. And we need to be able to see from the language and what's going on here and to be to help them get through that, but to not let that erode their Islamic understanding and identity. And um, young people especially need to understand Aqidah, inshallah. So I hope that's answered your question. Okay, Fazlia, mashallah, assalamu alaikum. Um, how our deen, appreciate the clarity of how deen will help us to navigate this chaotic moment we are living in. Um, yes, inshallah, it's, it's like the only real light that exists as a means of guiding us through. And the more we hang on to that, the better. And sometimes we can get a little bit distracted when we think about, you know, we're, we're modern people, you know, we're all modern people. And we think, oh, you know, I need to get my knowledge from other modern people. So I need to get my knowledge from people who have got a sophisticated grasp of what's going on in the world and who are able to express that in complex philosophies and theories and um, who can explain to me all the intricacies of relations between people. And I don't really think that's true. I think that if we're going to really get through this chaotic moment, as you've put it in, mashallah, really succinctly, um, we need to cling on to the people who are the most stable and often they're the ones who from the outside can look the least sophisticated or they can look like the, the ones who don't really know much what's going on or it might look like they come from a certain culture but they don't seem too worldly or um, too sort of up with what's happening. And while we do want to, to bridge there for those traditionally trained scholars who um, do have a role to contextualize things, there are also those who will never never fall into that category, which is fine, but are beacons of light. And they're like the awliya that Allah has put on the earth. And that doesn't mean that a wali can't know about context and things, but those who are consistent in their practicing, those who will bring you to Allah through what they know. And they can often be the most humble and overlooked people. And probably in your family, you've got... Uh, grandparents or people like that who they do that they read Yasin every day they pray on time they get up in the night um, they're good to their neighbors and if we don't do anything else but cling on to those types of people and follow their example then inshallah we we will get through this in the best possible way and even though sometimes it looks like the whole world is going in one direction and that we're going to miss out on something if we don't follow them, then as soon as we get that feeling, we have to pull ourselves back and go, oh, hang on a minute. Just because everyone else is going that way doesn't mean that I have to do that. And in fact, you don't. And we have countless examples currently and in history of um, people who have not gone. And one example now is um, Haji Omar uh, Khabir, who passed away uh, maybe a day and a half ago or two days ago in uh, Cape Town, Rahimahullah, and he, he came uh, to Abu Dhabi and he came to our house and um, for about 50 years, I think maybe the um, Cape Town sisters can correct me, but I think it was 50 years, he basically went out every single month to sight the moon, the new moon, and he was, I think, head of the moon sighting committee and he had a log of 50 years of moon sightings 
and subhanallah to have that consistency in what you do and the khair that came from that man um, subhanallah was um, so sad when I heard that he had passed away and Allah give him the highest place in Jannah inshallah but they're the people that are so easily overlooked um, when you think about oh you know who sort of knows what's going on in the world but they're the ones who were really truly grounded and consistent and inshallah we need to hang on to them more and seek them out and be in their company because it's with them inshallah if we hang on to them then we'll be right inshallah Julie, mashallah, how do older converts whose thinking has been corrupted by Western ideology best understand the totality of this corruption and once they understand it intellectually to some degree, have it take hold in their heart? In this regard, mashallah. Um, yeah, just through education um, and through the same like um, exposing yourself to the people of knowledge and to the people of practice and uh, a friend of mine asked me recently she said what what do we do on um, what was what did she say what do we do when the Dajjal comes Allah protect us inshallah from that big fitna she said what do we do and I said when everybody is running one way you go the other way right and even if it looks like the most um, counterintuitive or backwards um, thing to do, don't go where the masses are going. Okay, you've got to move the other way and see that what the, um, what the masses are doing is falling into the trap. And the thing is that as you get older, of course, it gets harder to change your ways and harder to change your thinking. But one of the issues of changing your thinking also is changing your attitude and realizing that perhaps what you knew or thought you knew before that was true might not actually be true and that requires a certain amount of humbleness and it's difficult because we build ourselves and our identities and who we think we are and our lives upon the knowledge that we've gained so far and so to really challenge that is very very hard um, but with ikhlas with sincerity and with siddiq, with truthfulness, and with a, with truthful du'a, and we ask Allah to open our hearts to the truth, then inshallah, that shift can really only come when a person wants to change, and when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uh, bestows the blessing of answering that du'a and bringing about change in that person's heart. So it's a tough one. I mean, you know, they say a leopard can't change its spots. But a leopard can change its spots, inshallah, if you're a Muslim and if you ask Allah and he opens that up for you. But also, um, again, you know, clinging to the people of practice and the people of sincerity and the people who are the sources of true and grounded knowledge. And the one thing, too, I learned about um, Habib al-Mashhur, um, rahimahullah, who passed away about a month ago uh, in Tarim, uh, the, the, the eldest of the sons of Habib um, Muhammad bin Salim, the father of Habib Omar, and uh, yeah, and obviously Habib Mashur. And the one thing is that what distinguished him was his consistency. And uh, one of the, the, the foreign students who had studied interning for many years, and I heard him talking about Habib Mashur, and he said, 
he led a most unglamorous lifestyle in the sense that anybody in Tarim knew exactly where he was at any given time because his tartib, his structure of his day and of his week was so set. So if it was Tuesday afternoon, you knew he was reading the, the Hadrabah Sudan after Asr. If it was Tuesday after Maghrib, you knew he was teaching at Darafaqi, for example. And this is a consistency that our modern lifestyle doesn't really give us. And if you look back, um, say your own mothers or grandmothers now, who um, come from a time where life was much more simple and modern life doesn't afford itself to that or it doesn't allow us to do that but we need to carve that out for ourselves and try and find that inshallah and in that blessing of the daily routine then there are great openings in the heart and inshallah that should begin to change attitudes inshallah which is the beginning point for trying to change understanding and acquire new knowledge inshallah um Shiomi, mashallah. Yeah, now he was a very pious man, mashallah. And oh, Tesni, mashallah. Yeah, she's answered here. And Neofa, yeah, no books. He was a president of the moon sighting in South Africa, yes. And other countries also, um, the UK, they also depend on uh, South Africa's moon sighting too, sometimes for their own. So they'll consult with South Africa, they'll consult with Morocco, um, and the other countries on that. Uh, sort of longitude of the earth to see if they've seen the moon or not. So, mashallah, he was a really amazing man, mashallah. May Allah grant Haji Umar the highest of abodes in Jannah. Amin. And on that note, may Allah grant Sheikh Siraj Hendricks a speedy recovery. Amin, Ya Rab. He's a forerunner in bridging the gap between sacred and secular. Yes, yes, that's right. One of the, um, one of the senior and oldest um, scholars in uh, Cape Town at the moment, yeah, Sheikh Siraj, inshallah, may Allah grant him and his wife, uh, I believe too, she's unwell, may he grant them a complete shifa, inshallah, and enable um, not just the Muslims in Cape Town, but all over the world to benefit um, from him again, inshallah. Um, shukran, Neofa. Um, any books that you recommend? that talks more about the moon sighting. Well, I think um, most of that knowledge comes in the fic books. So I can't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment, other than to say that that's where that knowledge um, is written the most about how to sight the moon. And it's also a knowledge that you actually have to get from people who are experienced in it and uh, Haji Omar rahimahullah, uh, he actually went to other countries as well and taught those countries how to sight the moon properly as well. So it's a book knowledge, but it's also a knowledge that's given over to you um, in a practical way like um, astronomy as well. You can't really learn astronomy from a book. You have to actually go out there uh, with people who are experts in it, who, who can teach you. Um, and, and also, I mean, and that's sort of the two parts of all knowledge anyway. And they say that al-ilam fi sudur wa laysa fi sutur. So that knowledge is in the hearts and not in the lines, meaning the lines of books. Um, so that's where you really get knowledge from. But also the scholars always wrote their, their secrets and the mysteries of the things that they knew into their books as well. And so a close reading of texts will also draw that out. Um, what the scholars have actually um, 
all their benefits that they've put in. And so the more you read, obviously, the more you'll be exposed to those things. So, mashallah, assalamu alaikum, salam. How do we guide and protect our children with regard to these ideologies and influences from a young age when it's so present, prevalent and implicit in our society and they are so impressionable, yes. Especially regarding how difficult it is to even just to guard ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for that question. Uh, yeah, it's again comes back to this culture in the house and particularly for children that they grow up seeing their parents attached to the dean and that they grow up emulating their parents in that. And now, of course, a lot of the culture in our homes is electronic culture, telephones, um, screens, and all these are, all these have benefits, but they also have real detriment as well. And I think um, if we're gonna protect our children, then we also need to protect ourselves and we need to be able to put the phone down and we need to be able to spend time with our children, playing with them and uh, building, uh, building their character and building a love and strong connection. And of course, the time we live in, uh, families are so, um, what's the word, breaking down so much because those bonds between the parents and the children are not being uh, established and developed and strengthened um, from the very beginning as much as they used to be because of the challenges of modern life and having to work and all the things going on. And then of course you throw technology into that and it just makes it more and more difficult. So I think the first thing is to try and build a really strong relationship with your children right from the start. And if they are a bit older now, then to think about how you can do that and how you can get into their world. So sometimes we think that kids have to get onto our wavelength and then we forget that, um, that we were teenagers too. And so when I happen to walk past and, you know, see a TikTok video going on somewhere and I'm like, oh no. Um, and then, you know, want to talk about, okay, TikTok's really dumb, guys, you know, can we just like move on? But then I forget that, you know, I also had my own dumb things that I was into at that age. And so we sort of have to be firm, but also not overly restrictive. Because in this day and age, if we're overly restrictive, then we're just going to push them away. And sometimes we only learn that through experience and looking back on hindsight. Sometimes it's the children's character and stubbornness which will make them push away from you. But we have to know that we've built a good relationship from, with them and also to discuss things a lot. So when they come home, and one of my friends in, um, in the UK, she told me that her five-year-old niece was given a questionnaire at school and she was asked, what are your favorite colors? And what sort of clothes do you like to wear? And where do you like to play? And so this little girl, she said she liked dark colors. She liked purple and navy blue. And her favorite clothes was um, wearing trousers because she loved to climb trees and play outside in the dirt, as you would expect a five-year-old to love that. And then she got the results back from her questionnaire and they told her, no, you're not a girl, you're actually a boy, <laughs> right? 
And I mean, this is a couple of months ago. I mean, the, the most insane things going on. And of course, the parents start freaking out and now they want to homeschool and, and all this because look what the, their child is being told. So when, they think, when it comes in, um, these ideologies and influences, then we need to know exactly what our position is on that. And then that no means no. And that we need to know. And, and one of the fundamental um, and core points of our Islamic epistemology is that everything has an essence and everything has a reality and that it's possible to find the essence and reality of everything. And so the culture that we're in now is all about erasing that essence and everything being fluid, okay? There's no such thing as male or female, right? That, that's how it goes. It's all about whatever you want to be and how fluid you want to be between those two possibilities because now they're not realities male and female are possibilities on a spectrum of gender so when we know those things and then when the kids come for example with that type of talk from school then we need to know what we believe and discuss it and talk about those things also what are they watching what books are they reading um, I noticed recently in a bookshop a book on uh, like feminism for little girls and obviously steering clear of things like that and trying to present them with wholesome characters, even, you know, historical. I mean, there, there are many things we can do, um, but we need to, first of all, get ourselves right because if we don't have our own ideas right, then we're not going to be able to help our children. And um, so that's number one. And number two is try and establish a culture of dhikr and Qur'an in the house. And that's the most important thing. So your relationship... Establishing dhikr, Qur'an, and a culture of good deeds, a culture of being good to other people and politeness and kindness, um, but with good examples. Because if you look at Western culture, there's also please and thank you. And, uh, you know, people who grow up non-Muslim, so they'll be very polite on the outside, but there's no real tarbiyah of the heart. So those children, you don't know really what they're doing, even though on the outside they, they're very polite. So it's a, it's a politeness which is grounded in proper ethics and in proper values and standards, inshallah. So that's just sort of a couple of little takeaways maybe that might point in the, uh, a good direction, inshallah. Wa'iyakum, jazakumullah khairan. A book by, oh yes, shukran tasneem. Yeah, um, with regards to the moon sighting, a book by Sheikh Amin Fakir in Cape Town. His book is called Al Mufida. Do I have that here? I'm sure I do. Sorry, I'm just looking at my bookshelf just a minute. Oh, right here. Yeah, this is it. Um, Al Mufida. And. Um, so a book on general Islamic knowledge, Sheikh M. A. Fakir. So thank you. Yeah, that's that's a really good place. So a place to start, um, inshallah. So our sister, show me. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name um, correctly. Or Avila, inshallah. Maybe you can get in touch with us and we can uh, get a copy of that to you, inshallah. Um, may Allah guide us as parents. Amin, Ya Rabbi, because it's really hard. 
But we have our dua and that's our weapon, inshallah, against all evil to read Quran um, on our kids regardless of how old they are, even if they're, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Attitude and walking out the door, then uh, read Kulhu Allahu Ahad and Al-Falaq Nas for them. Ask Allah to protect them, um, inshallah, and we take whatever means we can. And Allah is the one who protects and we need to be constantly making dua and seeking his protection for themselves and us. Insha'Allah. Yes. Yeah, it is a wonderful book, mashallah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, shukran. Okay, so are there any other comments or questions or anything um, that you'd like to discuss? Um, I'll just say, um, yes, indeed, a book that every household should have. Yes, definitely. Um, and all in English and all the transliterations and everything, and it covers everything. Um, all the essential knowledge. Um, so alhamdulillah, may Allah reward Sheikh Amin abundantly for that inshallah. It's like a little um, light bulb on everybody's shelf. Alhamdulillah. Would we be able to go through a text of Imam Hadad online class? Um, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's possible inshallah. Yeah, we could, um, we could discuss that. Maybe... I don't know what the best forum is, whether it would be Zoom or whether it would be here, I'm not sure, but inshallah, um, get in touch with me and, and inshallah we should be able to see what we can do with regards to that inshallah. Oh, mashallah, shadia, mashallah, walaikum salam, inshallah. One thing I'll mention about the podcast, though, with the left or right, the straight path, please, is that uh, inshallah we're getting to all those things about feminism and the LGBT so I'm taking it very slowly and really trying to um, uh, show where these ideas are coming from and um, the difficulty is that it's uh, it's quite sort of um, conceptual at the moment but if you just wait a little bit a few more episodes so Next, inshallah, I want to do like Imam Ghazali's sociology um, because we've looked at a little bit at conservatism, a bit at Marxism. So now we want to look at an Islamic perspective. So Imam Ghazali and Ibn Khaldun, inshallah, and then go on to uh, modernism and postmodernism. And then we can start to look at feminism after that and the four waves of feminism. And just to see how completely inappropriate Western feminism is as a model for Muslim women, even Muslim women living in the West, um, but particularly for this whole thing about that Muslim women are oppressed and uh, the headscarf and all that stuff. So we're getting there, inshallah, but I hope to take it slowly to give a proper understanding um, so that people don't just sort of go, oh, yeah, and they're confused by it. I mean, my goal is that you're not confused, even though it's hard. So inshallah, Perhaps some more of these sessions would be useful for going into that. I don't know. Um, you know, let me know what you think would be helpful to um, for, for your understanding, inshallah. And, um, you know, inshallah, that's what this is for. Inshallah, it's a, a khidmah um, for our sisters and for all of us, inshallah, to really sort out what's going on and get ourselves together and move through. We don't know when our time's going to come to an end. And so we need to prepare for that, inshallah. And my intention is that um, these uh, these podcast series, which is sort of all I'm really able to do at the moment, 
um, that they should be, um, inshallah, a means for helping to facilitate that, even if it's in a very small way, inshallah. Okay, so if there's nothing else, then we'll sign off. Okay, so whoever's interested in a text of Imam Haddad, um, get in touch with me, inshallah, and we will we'll work something out. Bi'idhnillah. Okay. Okay, so if that's it, then we will sign off. And thank you all for your interest and for your time. And especially those in Sydney. I know it's late now. <laughs> so... But it's winter, so you've got a few more hours sleep, inshallah. You don't have to get up too early. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So um, thank you, Jazakumullah khair. And we ask Allah to uh, bless us and benefit us with beneficial knowledge and to give us clarity and that he shows us the truth and allows us to follow it. Wa arina haqqa haqqan wa zukuna that he gives us the opportunity to follow and that he shows us and that he shows us wrongdoing and falsehood clearly and enables us to avoid it inshallah and we ask Allah to give us strong bonds of sisterhood and um, cooperation and community and even though we're all over the world we're all connected to the one heart and that's the heart of the Prophet so we ask Allah to enable that heart to be the one that we're seeking and to make pleased inshallah and to put farah happiness in his heart for our deeds inshallah and to strengthen us in knowledge and action and sincerity and siddiq inshallah and to overlook our shortcomings and sins and to bless us in all that we do and protect us and our children Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. And we'll just read Surah Al-Fatiha ila Hadratin Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahmanirrahim. Maliki yawmiddin. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. Sirat al-adhina an'amta alayhim. Mashallah. Oh, I love you too, Tasneem. Miss you so much. <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah. See you soon. Amin. Amin. Everybody, thank you so much for coming. And may Allah put love in our hearts for each other and for all the Muslims. And may Allah lift the calamities and the, um, the great problems that so many of our Muslims are going through at the moment, inshallah. This is all being written and it's all the tartib of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah, we ask for the best outcome for everybody, inshallah. Ameen. So, okay, I will switch off. And have a great day, morning, evening, wherever you are, inshallah. And let's keep everybody in our du'as. And um, with, um, yeah, we now du'as, inshallah. And with the best of thoughts and the husnudan of everybody. And husnudan of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he will never let us down. And that we just need to strengthen our yaqeen to understand that, inshallah. And know that everything is good. Everything is the way it's meant to be. And we need to accept that and understand that. But do so in a way with wisdom and in a way with insight and um, thought. And inshallah know that 
the way to go through and navigate is set for us and we just have to set our compasses on that and move forward in the best of ways inshallah so i will sign off say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh jazakum al khair barakallahu fikum and inshallah we'll catch up with you on the facebook group or instagram or email misquimen at gmail.com wherever okay thank you so much assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa